0: Let's Go
1: State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.
0: Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian
1: Tripp. Welcome into another edition of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Brian Tripp, great to be with you once again. Joined this time by Penn State Assistant AD for New Business Development, Michael Cross. And first of all, it's great to be here with you in your office at Pagula Ice Arena. The one thing I always do to start a podcast is I can go ahead and read your bio off a website or read the description of your job off the website, but... Tell fans at home, in your eyes, what does the AD for new business development does, and also, you are the sport administrator for men's and women's hockey, men's and women's tennis as well.
0: Well, let's let's start with the easy part, which is probably the sport administrator, the sport administrator, and what that means for uh, for our team. So I, I serve as a as a go to resource for our coaches in those sports, and try to provide them insight, counsel, guidance and assistance around the various things they might face. So it could be questions about scheduling. It could be questions about uh, travel logistics. It could be plans related to uh, recruiting. It could be a student discipline issue or uh, something along those lines. So every day is very different. Just before we started, I was having a conversation with a coach about a, a matter that you got to hear a little bit of. And, you know, it's, it's you never know what's going to come through the door. It's a very exciting aspect of what we do. Uh, and I enjoy it thoroughly. I love the coaches that I'm fortunate enough to work with, and some of them I've known for quite some time, which has been great. So, so that's the sport administrative side of the equation. New business development. Uh, my responsibility is to go out and try and find creative ways to generate revenue that support our 31 teams and 800 plus athletes uh, as we try to prepare them for a lifetime of impact. And that also takes a lot of different forms, and I think it involves a fair amount of creativity. I spend time pretty much every day talking with companies and groups from around the country about ideas they have that they think might work well at Penn State, and the brand of Penn State is powerful. So it gives an opportunity to hear what their ideas are, hear what their product ideas might be, and see if they would fit with what it is that we're doing. And There's a lot of ideas out there that might make sense. Uh, There's a lot of ideas out there that don't make sense. And really where I focus is on three things. I focus on does it fit with our core competency? Uh, Is it something that will have a decent return on investment? And thirdly, does it ultimately uh, provide uh, something that we can uh, execute without, without a lot of effort? And if those three things can get checked off... We're probably going to be in a pretty good place and so what we're doing is you know we've got 50 50 raffles going we got tailgate guys going those are probably two of the more successful initiatives we've undergone at this point
1: let's dive back into you mentioned that you had relationships with the men's hockey head coach guy gadowski and the women's hockey head coach jeff Campersall, because you were at princeton for some time then you went on to become the ad at bradley so what's it like having those two coaches to work with them once again here at penn state and what drew you to penn state probably some of the same things that drew them here as well So that's a, that's a great question. So
0: what drew me to Penn state really is the opportunity to work with excellence. Uh, there's a, there's an incredible expectation of prioritizing the experience of our student athletes doing so with high academic standards and doing so in a way that is going to make sure that when they leave the institution, they're in the best position possible, whether they want to go on to professional athletics, uh, whether they want to go into some type of business career, uh, go into some type of, of nonprofit organization, whatever it might be, obviously the academic strength here is is incredible. So that was, a, that was a huge draw. And I think that's probably a similar draw for any coach and any student athlete that wants to be at Penn State. On a more personal level, I had known Guy for quite some time. I was fortunate to be involved in the hiring process when he was hired at Princeton, uh, had maintained a relationship with him for quite some time. Uh, and then uh, Coach Campersall came in a few years ago and we were fortunate enough to have him ultimately emerge in the search process that we went through. And really what I think is the best part of, of that arrangement is uh, among myself and the coaches and in the case of the men's staff, the assistant coaches, because they were also at Princeton at the same time, there's a really high level of trust. Uh, and, and there's a long, long uh, background and history of each person knowing what they're going to get in the conversation. Each person knowing that what you can say, how you can say it, and not have to walk on eggshells about things that will ultimately make the program better, because everybody has that same goal of having our programs compete at the highest level possible. Uh, and I go to the top, the topic of friction creates traction. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you can have some friction there, and nobody's going to walk out of that conversation and go, "I can't believe." You know, he just said that to me. It's not a, it's not an issue because everybody has, again, a long working relationship that's founded in trust and goes back a long time.
1: I think that's one of the things that makes Penn State so successful over the years is the administration is so supportive of the coaches, and they have an open relationship where they can discuss ideas. There's feedback back and forth, and that sounds like something you've been able to develop over the years with both those coaches as well. Tons of feedback, tons of conversations.
0: The, the door is always open in either direction. Uh, there's an understanding of, of times when not to intrude, and there's an understanding of when it's really good to intrude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all those things are really positive. I think the other thing that's interesting is both coaches, and obviously it was through Princeton, but both coaches have an Ivy League background. And they that Ivy League preparation that they... Had And that experience they had is a very different one. They're operating with student athletes who do not receive athletic scholarships. And in fact, if you look across the athletic department at Penn State, we have a number of coaches who come from Ivy League backgrounds in our lacrosse programs and our soccer programs. Uh, And there's a reason why I think that that level of experience fits really well here is it can't just be about uh, receiving a scholarship and, and trying to get the most out of the student from a competitive level only. It's got to be about developing the whole person. And clearly that preparation that, that each of those individuals has had uh, obviously translates to very high levels of success as you look at what they're doing across all the teams.
1: I think a lot of our fans listening from a Penn State perspective want to hear about some of the new business initiatives, but we're on the hockey track right now. Mm-hmm. Something that you've had the opportunity to do now is join the NCAA hockey ice hockey committee, how often do you get together? Can you just explain to the fans who may not know what exactly that responsibility entails?
0: That's a good question. So this is actually the second time I've been on a sport committee mm-hmm. that's responsible for selecting the NCAA championship field. The first time I did it was when I was at Princeton and I was on the baseball committee. And that experience, I think probably as closely as anything out there mirrors what people are most familiar with, which is the NCAA basketball yep. process and the March Madness that happens. Uh, baseball was similar, spent multiple days in a room trying to pick who's going to be in the field. Where do you seed them? Who's going to which regional sites? There was a lot involved there. Hockey's different. Hockey has 60 teams that play at the division one level, uh, of those teams, those that make the tournament field are, are out of two very distinct lists of schools. One is who got the automatic qualifier from each of the six hockey playing conferences. And then the second piece has to do with who's who's where in the pairwise. So hockey is unique among the sports that are played in the NCAA because it's 100% formula and math driven. At the end of the season, you look and you say, where do you fall on this list called the pairwise rankings? And if you're in the right spot on the pairwise rankings, uh, you're in. And if you're not in the right spot on the pairwise rankings, you are out. And so I think a lot of the debate and discussion that happens in some of these other committees is eliminated because it's all math-based. And it's a very unique uh, dynamic for hockey.
1: The one thing fans listening who may not follow hockey as closely could relate to, and again, this wasn't an NCAA thing, but the BCS model, where the computers basically told you who would play for a national championship. So from your perspective, on a championship committee, you're just placing regionals and matchups at that point.
0: That's pr- that's pretty much the case. That's that's certainly one of the huge responsibilities. You ultimately then go and staff the regionals, you go and staff the Frozen Four. Uh, so those are the, the the macro issues and probably the most important piece of the equation is is working and thinking about how do we make sure that we're giving each student athlete uh, and their teams the best opportunity to compete for a championship. And the best really has to get into, you know, is it fair, does it make sense uh, in terms of matchups, that type of thing. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, I have not been through the selection process yet, but based on what I've seen, uh, I expect it'll be a pretty interesting conversation, uh, over the course of uh, a weekend later in March.
1: Serving on the committees, what goes into picking host destinations for a region or for NCAA championships And Penn state will serve this year again for the third straight year as a host for the NCAA men's hockey regionals. Then in 2022, Pagula, where we're holding the interview right now, is going to be the side of the women's frozen for.
0: Yeah. So the, the. The process to select is something that we will go through this year as mm-hmm. well. Um, I haven't been in part of the process that selected Allentown as a regional or any of the other regional sites, but the NCAA puts forward some pretty clear criteria as it relates to financial expectations, size of venue, quality of ice, number of locker rooms, ability to host the media, uh, hotel availability. I mean, the, the sophistication with which the association goes about trying to identify the best places to host the regionals is pretty impressive. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And um, I'm, I'm really amazed at how much time and effort is put into making sure that the, the pinnacle of the season for the student-athletes is, is best, the best it can be. So that part is, is really quite, um, quite interesting and exciting to watch.
1: And it must be an interesting time to be an administrator with the sport of college hockey and spe- with specifically college hockey because whether it was, you know, you can go back over your career, Michigan, Princeton, you've been around the sport. But to see how the landscape is changing and something, as we're doing this this week, the CCHA 2.0 is forming again. is <laughs> It seems like, obviously, the Big Ten's formation and the transition to having a Big Ten hockey conference was a seismic shift. But college hockey continues to evolve and grow, so there are so many moving pieces still in that landscape.
0: Yeah, the growth and the changes are are fascinating to watch. And, and, you know, we're talking about hockey, but this is happening yeah. in, in all sports and all conferences. Uh, institutions are constantly and continually thinking about ways to enhance their brand, uh, get the benefit of association in terms of who they collect, who they partner with for scheduling purposes and for institutional purposes, and what that might mean for their own institutional opportunities to get to the NCAA tournament to compete for a championship. And even beyond that, compete for students. Uh, you know, the, the idea that, that the hockey programs and, and all of your sports are within conferences, those schools are all competing for students. They're competing for faculty. They're competing for all kinds of people. And who you associate with is a very important indicator of how people will ultimately view your brand. There's a lot of thought put into that process without question. Presidents and CEOs think about that all the time. Coaches think about it all the time. Athletic directors think about it all the time. Each of them may come at those topics from a different angle uh, and, and lens as they think about what's going to be best for me as a coach versus our institution. Uh, but when you can have alignment on those fronts, you're going to be in a great place. Clearly, the CHA made a decision to say, uh, we think that this is going to be the right name for us as it relates to the brand and trying to get some brand equity out of, of the CCHA name that existed a few years ago. Uh, clearly those institutions that made the decision to move from the WCHA felt like that was best for them. And you're going to continue to see shuffling. Uh, Who knows if additional Big Ten teams will add the sport? Who knows if somebody else in the Midwest or the West Coast might add the sport? Mm -hmm. Uh, And each time one of those things happen, it creates opportunity and people are going to try and figure out how to capitalize on those opportunities.
1: You weren't there right at the ground floor, but pretty early on you were at Penn State since 2015. So to see the the Big Ten and its growth and formation from a hockey conference. Where is it at now, and how has it transformed, and how is it a leader in college hockey? Well, you get the opportunity
0: uh, as our play-by-play person to see the quality of hockey that's Mm -hmm. happening across the conference. I mean, there are no easy nights. There are no easy venues. There are no off days the level of play, the number of NHL draft picks, the number of people who have professional interest uh, is really incredible. And so every single night is a, is a all out battle. Uh, and then you get to go and turn around and do it again on Saturday night after you just, you know, wore yourself out on Friday. <laughs> so, you know, the, the level of play is incredible, you know, from a conference standpoint, the administrators, the sport administrators for the sport, uh, the leadership of the Big Ten office and the coaches continue to talk about the best ways to maximize the strength of the Big Ten brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the television aspect is obviously one piece of that. The quality of the institutions and the brands is another piece of that. And in continuing to work and figure out, OK, among an array of choices and, and there's other good schools outside of the Big Ten, obviously, yeah. it's an incredibly competitive landscape. Uh, and so you really have to know where you're trying to go what you're trying to do and from my personal perspective it should be to figure out how do we put the most teams into the NCAA tournament as possible so that we can ultimately have a Big Ten institution emerge as a as a
1: national champion this is a rule change here and as a member of the committee what are some of the things that you think will be addressed and looked at as you head into the the off season? so I, I would say two things about that.
0: One, we're, we're one voice. We, the Big Ten, are one voice. Uh, hockey's got a unique dynamic in that you've got a number of institutions that have geographic challenges. You have a number of institutions that view hockey as uh, they, are, they are the only Division One sport in their school. So yeah. for example, if you go to Union College or if you go to RPI, mm-hmm. those schools have hockey as their sole Division One sport and the rest of their institution is Division Three.
1: It's interesting because you look at some of the the great teams in college hockey. Denver is a terrific school. When you look at the men's landscape, lacrosse and hockey, they don't have a football. They don't have a men's basketball that's really driving the focus there, as opposed to your Penn States or your Minnesotas. Exactly, exactly, and that that's another interesting
0: dynamic. I mean, some of the some of the regional aspects in terms of of where player availability is, the cultures that students grow mm-hmm. up in, and, and I'm talking students in terms of kindergartners, first graders, second graders, yeah. the environment they grow up in, all of those things really create a unique uh, sport mix that I, I don't think you find anywhere else. So it's pretty fascinating to watch. Uh, you know, in terms of rule changes for this year, the biggest thing that will get discussed is going to be the overtime process that we go through. Mm-hmm. So right now, hockey overtime is... Uh, at the end of 60 minutes, you go to a five-on-five overtime for five minutes. After that, if the game's not decided, you can go to a three-on-three overtime, and then after that, you go to a shootout. Unlike the NHL, where the wins count in particular ways, once the five-on-five play stops, the impact on the pairwise, which we talked about earlier related to, to NCAA selection, turns off. Now, you can have implications for your conference standings and that type of thing, but that's gotten a lot of discussion, uh, without question. There's a lot of discussion among the coaches who feel that, uh, I think for some of them, the idea that we have this five-minute period before we go to three-on-three three overtime, which is what the NHL does as their process, is not the correct route to go. It doesn't prepare players for that next level. Uh, but really where I think the the sticking point is, is, is going to be around what is the implication for a win in a shootout or in a three-on-three situation. Three-on-three hockey is very different from five-on-five hockey uh, and a shootout is obviously very different from both of those. So there's a lot of discussion and I think that's really where the discussion will ultimately land is if we go this route and make some type of change to the overtime rules, uh, what does that mean for the pairwise? The The one thing I should clarify too is the over t- the decision about the rules is actually made by a different committee from mm-hmm. ours. There's, an, there's a hockey committee rules committee that will make that decision. We get to decide what their decision means as it relates to the pairwise and who is going to be in uh, the NCAA tournament. But uh, the rules aspect will be decided by somebody else There'll be some coordination there and some discussion about what do you think and, and who makes up w-
1: that committee then?
0: So that's that's an interesting dynamic. So it's actually um, administrators and coaches from across the hockey landscape. So unlike the committee that I'm on, which is solely Division One focused, the rules committee incorporates individuals from Division One, Division Three, uh, men's, women's. So you've got all of these different um, entities that will look at a potential rule change through a lot of different lenses and what it might mean for. Uh, for their program, for their conference, for their sport, uh, because the sports are different. Some of the challenges that we deal with at division one are different from division three and vice versa. A lot of strong feelings. And it's a huge committee, unlike the hockey committee, which is just six people. Uh, I believe the rules committee has, gosh, it's gotta be, it seems like at least 20 people. I mean, it's a much, much bigger group with many more constituents. And so the more constituents, the harder it is to get, um, consensus about where you might go
1: uh, that's fascinating because I think fans can relate to whatever sport they may follow just to hear the process that goes into coming up with something new or some sort of change how much uh, how much it would impact not only the championships but how you determine a rule change and everything so that, that, that's really good stuff uh, shifting gears a little bit back to what you do at Penn State with the new business development how many emails, how many crazy ideas do you get across your across your desk every day <laughs> well they're uh, I, I don't know three to five a day
0: probably yeah. i mean there's a lot there's a lot of them uh, and they're they're fascinating conversations mm-hmm. i mean there there's you know uh, I don't know if you watch Shark Tank yeah. I love the, I love the show Shark Tank's a fantastic example of I think how people are are out there in the world, whether they've gone and, and sought venture capital or they're making something in their basement or whatever it might be. But there's no shortage of, of really creative and interesting ideas.
1: Have and you held any Shark Tank mock type things right here in your office with someone presenting an idea to you? Uh, uh, I wouldn't say that. No, okay. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it that way. <laughs> there's
0: definitely been meetings in the office. And there's some people who've had some amazing, um, amazing concepts. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes some of these concepts actually happen in other industries or other spaces, and they try and translate those ideas to athletics or vice versa. And I think there's a there's an allure and a fascination with people and a recognition that athletics is a very uh, central part of our society. And so if you can get ties to a Penn State, ties to the Big Ten, get the exposure that comes with some of those types of things that your product can take off in ways that it might not otherwise... Uh, but not every not every idea is necessarily a good one. It doesn't make it a bad one. It might just not just might not be the right one for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a really large department. There's there's no shortage of ideas, and you really have to be discerning about why would you choose to do this particular aspect. What type of problem does it solve? What opportunity does it present? And the idea that something might be a, an additional sponsorship inventory item isn't necessarily a reason why you would go and do something. And that's often an angle that I'll hear from people who will come and pitch on something is, oh, I've got this idea and you can put some a, a sponsors logo on it. Well, that's not necessarily going to make it the right move for us. It's got to be more than just another sponsorship opportunity. So um, really fascinating conversations. Um, you know, Talking to CEOs of the companies is really interesting. I mean, they're incredibly passionate and, and deeply knowledgeable about their product and why they've put it together and why they think it'll be successful. Um, and then you get some people who are on the other end of the scale who might be, you know, this is their first job out of college and they're selling. And, and you know, you're hearing what they're pitching and you're going, okay, let's talk about this, answer these questions. And, and sometimes you do a little more guiding through the conversation than you might otherwise. So it's it's great stuff.
1: And I'm sure over the years some things have been hit or miss. But you mentioned two ideas that have really taken off here at Penn State. Number one, the tailgate guys, which is I think year after you see all the white tents that pop up there on Little Jeffrey is getting bigger and bigger. And people are embracing that. And now 50-50 ticket sales, which are a new <laughs> initiative. So what, what are some of the things that Penn State looks at that's really attractive to the university and the department? So well, t-
0: so tailgate guys, you know, is interesting. When we implemented that three years ago, I think there was a lot of skepticism about how is this going to work. Mm-hmm. Like the, there's obviously a great tailgate environment at Penn State football. It's incredible uh, incredibly passionate people. You walk through some of the lots with the motor homes and the setups and the bars and the barbecues. And, the, and I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really, it's, it's an amazing environment and, and people are like, well, why would anybody want this? And what, what we found was for the professional tailgater, this, this isn't their, their move. They're not going to throw their motor home, put it on the market and say, Hey, I'm going to go get a tent over on little Jeffrey field. But when you have people who are coming in for a special occasion, for a a reunion that they maybe do this once every five years, or it's somebody's 50th birthday, or whatever it might be, that it gives an opportunity for you to not have to try and figure out who's bringing the food, and what are we going to do, and I'm opening up my trunk, and I don't know where my space is, like, everybody knows where to go, it's a very central approach and location, and... And we've gotten to the stage now where there's a lot of repeat business on a season basis. Um, there's a lot of repeat business from people who say, "Hey, look, the game I'm going to this year is going to be, uh, you know, the Michigan game or the Purdue game or whatever it might be," um, and I want to I want to make that the tailgate event. And it's it's been incredibly um, fun to watch. I mean, it's a really neat atmosphere. The tailgate guys group does an incredibly good job in terms of the professionalism, the look, the feel. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. It's it's a really neat environment. we're still in our infant stages on that front. Uh, We started the first 50-50 we did using technology happened at a men's basketball game last semester. Uh, We took some notes from that initial experience and then restarted it at hockey back in January. Uh, And we've done that now for um, pretty much every home hockey game, every home men's basketball game, every home women's basketball game. We did the BJC wrestling event, and we will figure out how to do this at Blue White in April at that event. And we want to get to the stage where there's consistency of look and feel. Uh, We want to get to the stage where people understand where the proceeds go, and the proceeds go to athletic scholarships and funding uh, the athletic opportunities for our student-athletes. Uh, and we've had some really fantastic experiences with, uh, people who have won. In fact, there was a, there was a person who won yesterday who's, you know, was here traveling from out of town, had a really neat backstory about the spouse going into the military, you know, going to be deployed for military purposes in the not too distant future. And, and it was a really exciting, I mean, she was, she was beyond ecstatic that this had happened for her. And it was, it was something that was actually helpful for some of the things that, that are going on in her world. So, um, Every conversation is different. I mean, I've sold pretty much every game, and you get a really neat opportunity to get boots on the ground, conversations with fans, and they ask you all kinds of things. They talk about, hey, the volume of the of the you know the the music at games where's the concession stand help me find where guest relations is like you get a very hands on experience and um, it's been great to,
1: to be involved in it uh, we got a lot of work to go but so far so good on early returns there is a bottom line to it as well where you're trying to enhance what Penn State can provide for the student athletes and their experience and their welfare and there are so many things that you want to invest in every little bit helps for them as well that's definitely the case. There's no question
0: that um, the resources being developed here go toward the things that help our student athletes and honestly that our fan base cares about too, which yeah. is they want to see successful programs and resources have a correlation with how successful you're going to be. But if it were solely a money conversation, I don't know that we necessarily would have done it. I mean, the thing that I've seen is I think people pay attention to it, I think it enhances their in game experience, mm-hmm. and those who are participating are going. Oh, when's the drawing? Did you see how big the jackpot's getting? All those types of things that you know, but they're a great example of a company that that has has figured out here's something that that has been going on for decades. Mm-hmm in the world of sports you know the old idea of you know you're gonna do 50 50 raffles with a roll ticket and you know it's a dollar per ticket and for five dollars you get an arm's length I used to do that at,
1: at midget wrestling matches back in the day
0: absolutely everybody's done it uh everybody's participated in it and it's and it's fun and and technology like a lot of the things we see today has allowed it to evolve in a way that is is Helpful for revenue generation, helpful for fan experience. Uh, and also honestly is is helpful for what I'll describe as integrity purposes. You know, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's it's run by technology, uh, it's tracked, you you can be assured that the dollars are going where you want them to go at this point. You can be assured that you're actually gonna be in the drawing because you've gotten this technology digital printed ticket like you would if you bought, you know, the lottery at the seven eleven and Uh, It's gone really well so far, and and, uh, I look forward to seeing where it grows to in the coming coming months.
1: Well, a lot of really good stuff here. We'll have to catch up again with what's next down the road, but I appreciate the time. Michael Cross, Assistant AD for New Business Development at Penn State, as uh, our guest here this time on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics fans. If you like what you heard today, make sure you hit that subscribe button and download all of our podcasts. Thanks again for tuning in. Let's Go State. The official podcast of Penn State Athletics.